Hi, I'm Mana Moini, and you're listening to The Humanity Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Humanity. Thank you for being here. I've spent the last few months working on the topics and guests for the show. They all embody the characteristics that we want to exemplify on this podcast. For the first topic, we're going to be discussing the power of kindness. Kindness is at the essence of this podcast and a theme we want to carry on throughout. My guest today is Diane Cross. She is an accomplished leader and the CEO of Fraser Org. Fraser is the largest and most experienced provider of autism, mental health, and disability services in Minnesota. Additionally, Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal named Diane its 2022 Women in Business Career Achievement Honoree. She's also trademarked a method that involves kindness. She's here to talk about her journey, the importance of community, and the power of kindness. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Remember to spread kindness and don't forget to be kind to yourself. Diane, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for being here today. And thanks for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. So you have been with Fraser for 34 years. Correct. What is it about what Fraser does, their mission, their values, whatever it might be that's kept you there for so long? Well, a lot of a lot of things. That's a big question. I would say first and foremost, our mission. We really do make a difference in the lives of individuals. And I would say the most um, oppressed, the most diverse, the most um, ignored population in our society is individuals with special needs. Right. Disabilities of all kinds, diverse needs. And um, I, I get calls all the time from parents who are desperate for their children to just in the adults to just be included, to be able to belong. And so that's what keeps me there because I know Frazier can make that happen for these families. Is there something that happened in your life that you feel was like a turning point and said, I'm going to have a career in service. I want to give back. That's a great question. So I grew up in the 1950s, not to give you the whole life story, but you might have to hear a little bit of this story because (laughs) I do believe um, that those things that don't kill you make you stronger. I also believe that determination is a gift. And I believe out of adversity, if you use kindness and really flip, flip the coin, that you will find that adversity can teach you such great kindness. Because if you haven't suffered in your life, it's really hard to be empathetic and give to others. But those who have experienced terrible things in their life understand what it's like to be human. And you know, this is what this world is about, right? It's we've, right. we've got a lot going on right now, a lot of critical issues, a lot of very scary things. And I think if we can all find that kindness and hope in our heart and that willingness to give to others and see others as more important than ourselves, that that will make a huge change in this world. Was there a point of adversity in your life? Yes, so back in the 1950s, I grew up in a really small, community in Ohio. Actually, it was the the poorest community uh, in all of Ohio, Perry County. And my parents, loving parents, but they both believed that girls did not go to college, Um, that you were to get married, settle down, have a family, and that was your role in life. And I just felt for myself there was something more I could do. 
So um, decided that I had to at least give it a try. And even though I, frankly, my dad said he would never speak to me again as a girl if I wow. even applied to school, decided I needed to do this for myself. So I don't want to say I tricked him, as that, that sounds very cruel, but I, I told him that I would either go into nursing or teaching. And he said, well, those are the only two professions that a woman should ever explore. So actually, I became a speech and language pathologist, an audiologist, and graduated from Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. And my dad even later referred to me as a speech teacher even when I was director of medical rehab and education for Curried Center, I was running a, a large department um, the, um, responsible for major growth at Courage. When he visited, he still would, when, would correct someone when they said, well, this is our director. He would say, my Diane speech teacher. Did he ever so, change his tune on that? You know, later in life, I, I think a little bit, but um, not really. He, you know, my family, none of them went to college. I was the only college graduate. Um, and I would say that um, he really never came around to really understanding what women could bring to leadership positions. And to be honest with you, I faced that in my early career as a woman. It was tough at times. I'd sit in a room. I mean, I love men. Don't get me wrong. I'm not one of these people that bash men. I just don't think they had this consciousness about women's plight at that time. And so, you know, going through the Vietnam War period and then um, moving up here uh, to Minnesota, I discovered that life wasn't a whole lot different in the way women were treated back then. Right. So I, I'll give you an example. We, I was sitting in a meeting with a, um, a contractor, uh, my contractor and an architect, and we were meeting with some subs. And I was asking about the elevator because they discovered there might, when we were building this new building, there might be water in the elevator shaft. And so I asked the question, well, how do, to the, to the sub, how do we fix that? He didn't answer me, turned to the contractor and answered the contractor. Wow. And so it's just being discounted so right. many times. I was really fortunate when I landed at Curry Center to have a female mentor who really got this and saw the potential in me and felt that I had great leadership potential. And she really spearheaded my career throughout my journey at Courage. But it wasn't, it was never easy. And right. um, again, you know, it's back to that. If you don't suffer anything ever, you know, it's really hard to relate to people who have. And most of us have adversity in our lives. I mean, we all know it some way or the other. It's just a matter of degree. Right. So I do want to ask you about something. Yes. So when I was doing my research, I came across your LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you have under the about me mm -hmm. is humility is virtue. Mm -hmm. And that just really struck me. Um, I think we live in a society where we're told, you know, your personal brand and you got to shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and it's almost like humility is seen as a, a, a negative thing. You know, you need to be boasting who you are. I would love to understand what made you put that in your LinkedIn profile and what that means to you. So... First of all, I, I, I don't, I, I feel like I'm the orchestrator, the, the conductor of an orchestra. And I think some leaders miss that point that they can't lead if there's no orchestra, right? They're up there waving the wand, mm -hmm. but no one's playing. And so I think early in my life, I really realized that I'm just one piece, but without others, I'm nothing. 
And I also realize that it's not about me. And I get, frankly, more joy seeing it being about others. One thing that this kind of reminds me of is um, the topic of sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this briefly. Do people see sensitivity as a weakness in our society? That being said, it feels like the tides are turning a little bit. People are starting to understand that in our communities, in our workplaces, we need those connectors that are going to bring in the empathy, going to bring in the sensitivity. What are your thoughts on, on that? to sensitivity and how it's being viewed, you know, now versus before in our society. So again, not to, you know, I'm married to a wonderful man. I have two male children. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying this to bash male leaders. I'm, I'm surrounded by fabulous male leaders on my board and, and donors. And so it's not about that, but women do have an innate ability to give to others, an innate sensitivity. And as more women become leaders in our society, which we're seeing, more women become CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, more women you know, sitting on boards, more women in decision-making positions, I think we're seeing more of that personality that women naturally bring. And I've always been a believer, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but maybe at my age I can say this, I'm not trying to be a man in leadership. I really think women can bring their own traits to leadership, and I think it's the new way of leading is through empathy, through understanding others, because no one will follow a dictator leader anymore. No one will follow an autocratic person that says, I'm right, who are you to talk to me like this? It's all about all of us together. And in order to, to be a community, you have to have empathy for others, or it just doesn't work. And people have choices these days. When I was growing up, you know, we, you know, we, there, there were few jobs. Actually, I moved here um, to Minnesota without being able to practice in speech pathology and audiology because it required a master's degree. So I actually, here's the determination part, I went out to Montana, Northern Montana College, and I actually worked with the Hutterites and the religious colonies and on, with the Native Americans around oh. disability services. So in order to do that, and I, I had to do that in order to practice because Minnesota required a master's and I didn't have it that then. And then went back to school nights while I was at Curry Center to get my master's degree at the University of Wisconsin River Falls. And was frankly criticized for the fact that I was in a leadership role without that master's degree because my field required that. So it was, again, that determination, no one's gonna stop my dreams. I'm gonna do what I feel is right, uh, no matter what. And like I've always said, those things that don't kill you make you stronger, so. Right. So all of those experiences though, seeing others, their plights, understanding um, what energizes people, what brings people down, and really being able to put yourself in their place and understanding where they're coming from makes a huge difference in being able to serve others in a leadership role. If you're isolated and you've never had to do that, and you've never faced adversity, I, I really wonder how you lead others. I think it would right. be more challenging. That's why I think women just have it, you know, have it lined up for how they can do this. If they tr choose to use those, those talents that they have, the great communication, the empathy, the ability to see the world in a different light, I think, they bring all that to the table and, and there's great success. What so. role do you think kindness plays in there? What does kindness mean to you? So kindness means a lot of things. Um, 
if you, it can be something little, you know, acts of kindness. I'll give you an example. So when I started at Frazier, I started a new program called Cot Caring. And what I said we would do is we would reward and recognize anyone who did any act of kindness. And that might mean helping someone out of the parking lot that's struggling with their baby and everything that you carry as a mom to try and get into a school. So run out there and help them. From picking up a piece of toilet paper in the toilet that someone might slip on or that is disgusting that it's laying there. Any little thing. And so we started this program called Cot Caring. And it really does reinforce those little acts of kindness. It doesn't always have to be something cute. It doesn't. It can be little. But I want to tell you one story that was really powerful for me. I think it's easy to say everyone should be kind, but sometimes hard to do. And I'll tell you why it's sometimes hard to do. Um, we serve some of the littlest children in our community. Some of the, and some of these kids, many of them, have had really struggles at life in life, even under the age of four. And I used to ask the clinicians, well, what's the future for this child? And one of the clinicians gave me this example. They said, take a glass of water and start pouring the water in the glass. So I poured the water in the glass. And they said, that's love. That's what we do for these children. We give them love and kindness and the right tools. But it has to come from a loving, caring heart. Now, take a piece of cellophane and let's put that over the top of the glass. Now, pour the water on. That is what has happened to these children. So many of them have been abused, neglected, or just struggled, a trauma in their lives. They can't accept love. And if you can't accept love yourself, then it's really hard to be kind to others because you've never learned that. You, you weren't, you weren't being, no one was kind to you. Humanity wasn't kind to you. Right. So it's really hard to learn that. And these kids grew up to be adults. And so easy to say kindness should be everywhere, but sometimes you have to give people the grace to understand that not everyone intuitively has that. I do believe it can be learned though, I really do. From a simple thing like carrying in your car in the winter time, of course we don't have to do it this winter, but socks and candy bars or socks and granola bars. So if you see someone on the street, you can hand them something. Right. I mean, any anything, I mean, just so, there's so many things. Um, you know, a woman was stuck um, in the snow the other day and the other day, last year actually, and I watched several cars go by her. No one stopped for her. And so I, you know, not that I'm a saint, but I turned around and went over to help her. And she was hysterical. She didn't know her battery was dead. She didn't know what to do, but it was just, and for that moment, my day, I, I, I relived that moment my whole day. I relived her joy and my feeling that I did something really good. I kept revisiting it in my head. Oh her smile, her right. happiness, getting her safe. I mean, it was just, it was so energizing to me and so powerful. Um, more powerful than a new outfit, more powerful right. than a new car or any of that stuff, that all goes away. Those things, those gifts are with you for a lifetime. And one thing that you said in explaining that, that really stuck with me is taking a minute to understand why someone is the way that they are. Yes. Can really give you a window into, um, what's going on. I think sometimes right. we just take everything personally, Yes. but taking a yeah. minute to understand, you know, to what you said, like, how did this person grow up? What was shown to them? Right. And maybe that's where the whole saying of leading with kindness, mm -hmm. we can show others mm -hmm. how to, how to rise to the occasion. Right. Exactly. Um, 
So I well, think that's, that's where the empathy comes in. So there's kindness and empathy. And I think empathy is understanding that. Understanding, I mean, I tend to be a person that judges people as they're good. I start out with they're good. And then when I see a behavior that I think, well, maybe that isn't so good, then I try to understand, well, why is that for that person that way? What are they trying to say? What life experience have they had that led them to be that way? And give them, gra again, grace. I think right. grace and learning. So I trademarked it at, at Frasier, um, a new saying for, and all the staff probably is tired of hearing me say this, but it's give them, give them Cal, not give them hell, give them Cal. Okay. And give them Cal means give people kindness, empathy, love, and learning. And so I really believe that everyone can learn, but you've got to give people the chance to say, yeah, I not, didn't think of it that way. And you've got to realize that when someone is mean or angry, they not, may not be doing it out of motivation to harm you. They may just be expressing how they feel and, and asking for help in that way. Kindness, empathy, love, love and, and learning. learning. Give them Cal. That feels like something we can do in all relationships no, I in our totally lives. I totally agree. And, and right? you know, I can't say enough about um, that I get so much more back when I, when I behave in that manner than I have done than in any other way. Right. You know, you just, it just, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Do you think going back to what you said um, a little bit ago, do you think that kindness and empathy go hand in hand? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I definitely think they have to go hand in hand. I think with empathy, you learn kindness. So you because have to understand. You have to understand. And then act on it. Yes. Exactly. Okay. But let me tell you, if I, you don't mind, I, have, I would be remiss in not tell, sharing the story of Mrs. Frazier. And this is another individual. I would love to hear it. Yes. Okay. A woman who is just, you know, exemplifies what I just said. She wrote a book called Love of Kindness. Uh, Cup of Kindness, sorry. Cup of Kindness. And um, that was back in the 1930s. So here's a woman, Louise Whitbeck Frazier was her name, and she grew up in North Dakota. Her parents were killed in a car accident, so her very strict aunt was, and uncle were raising her. And she was a very um, fiery individual, so really tough to be under very strict rules and regs. She became a teacher, and she discovered in the North Dakota um, area that the principals would ask her to take the tough kids. And by tough kids, it was usually those kids that had special needs of some kind, some kind of disability. And so um, she got married, moved to, Mini to Minnesota, and lo and behold, ended up with a daughter herself who had severe hearing impairment, but actually was misdiagnosed as if she was intellectually disabled. Back then, they used the word mental retardation. We don't use that anymore. Um, and she was told by the authorities to place that child in an institution. And she refused to do that. She said, these children can be taught. They can learn. She was criticized by many for what they said, training the animals, because she started a program for these kids in her home. Now, in the meantime, think about this. She's got this program going where she's being accused of not following the research and that these really weren't humans anyway. And throughout history, they've been treated like they weren't human. If you read the history all the way back from the Romans, all the way through history, individuals with special needs were the first to be, you know, slaughtered in any, in any way and treated poorly in, in every environment. So she just refused to do that. And she lost a son, um, fell out of the car because they um, didn't have seatbelts back then. She lost a daughter to pneumonia, another daughter. 
and her husband was shot in the line of duty. He worked for the um, FBI, was invited politely down to the basement in a home in St. Paul, and shot to death, shutting down a moonshine operation. So here's a woman through who great adversity, but great determination and kindness really pioneered special education in, the, in, the, in this country. And she's in the textbooks for music therapy because she found a way to use music to, to grab the attention of these children so that she could use that as a teaching moment. But I mean, again, a story of someone, she could have just quit, right? right. She could have just said, I'm done with this, whatever. I'm not my problem. You know, if that's the way my child should be treated, I will shut her away in an institution. And they were terrible places. I don't know if you've read much about these institutions, but they were warehouses for souls. They would take children and they'd be locked in a bed next to an adult. I mean, they were filthy. It was, it, people were just not, society was not aware of, right. of how to handle individuals with special needs. I mean, they just didn't see them as a life worth investing in. I think what really stands out to me about what your, her story mm -hmm. is here's somebody who had, had an extraordinary life, mm -hmm. a lot of tragedy. Yes. And for her to take that and put it back into society in such a giving way, I think that's just a unique individual. It is a unique. And, and I feel like I'm following in her shoes. So, you know, you call it destiny or providence. I'm not sure which or something greater than all of that. Um, I feel like I was meant to, to, to be the leader of Frazier. Um, and the wow. legacy that I have to uphold, you know, I look back at her when we have trying times in an organization, it's a nonprofit, you know, it's never easy to run a nonprofit. Right. I always say, gee, you know, for profits, many times you can costs go up and you can raise your prices and pass them along to the consumer. Oh no, no, we don't get to do that. Our salaries go up. We have to re-engineer every day. Every day we're re-engineering, re-looking at what we can do, trying to be more efficient because we don't have that kind of um, support. Did mm -hmm. you ever meet her? No, no, no. I'm sorry to say, I, and some of my staff have. Okay, that are still at Fraser, and we've got staff have been at Fraser for 40, 50 years. Wow. I mean, it's amazing the length. You know, still involved at least as a volunteer on a volunteer basis. Some of them. So no, I never had the opportunity to meet her. I would have loved to have met her. She told a story though of um, one of the stories she told that was heartbreaking for me. She was actually asked to leave one neighborhood after another because they didn't want these, quote, um, unhuman individuals living in their neighborhood. So she was basically kicked out of one, one place after another. And she finally, with a group of these small parents who were so committed to their kids, bless them, found a little lot in Richfield. And she, they, the parents then dug the hole and put the concrete in for the building, and they were going to have Frazier School, their first building, came back after the weekend to find it all filled in. That oh someone gosh. had taken a bulldozer and filled in all the whole the whole foundation was filled in, as a message to her that they didn't want her there. Now Richfield has changed dramatically since then. They've been they're one of our greatest supporters. We we love being our headquarters are in Richfield. We love the city of Richfield's been really supportive. The community is really supportive of Frazier. So that has all changed. But back then, those were, that is how individuals with disabilities were treated. It's not, it's not surprising. And she just refused, 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 was told no, 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 and refused to do that. And then 
to this day, back then she didn't do very much fundraising because she didn't want to ask for help. And so to this day, some people still think Frazier is a foundation. They think we're only Frazier School. They don't realize that we're now about 140 million in operating. When I started, we were about 900,000. Wow. We have um, 1,500 staff. When I started, we had 57. We have 67 sites that we operate out of. We're statewide. We just opened a new clinic in, in St. Cloud and are looking at other um, more rural communities or communities outside of the Twin Cities. And um, we served 15,000 people last year. So That's we are amazing. an organization on the move. We're making a huge difference. And not only that, we've got outcomes. I can prove it. It's not just me saying so. We have data that shows we really do make a difference in the lives of these individuals. So what is like the five to 10 year outlook for an organization like Frazier? So we're right now in a, a position we're negotiating um, a new model of care with the state of Minnesota that will transform mental health services for these individuals. It will actually be an integrated model of care. So in the old model of care, let me see if I can describe this, mental health was siloed. You probably know this. If, if, if years ago you went to a counselor, they didn't ask you about your health. They talked about your mental health. Well, we're finding out research is showing they go so much hand in hand. Uh, especially in our population, individuals with disabilities have so many comorbidities. So they might have um, uh, autism and gastrointestinal problems, or they might have a disability and um, a anxiety disorder. So all of these things really do work together. And so what Frazier is going to be able to do is really bring to both healthcare and mental health together under one model, and then give the parents and families the support they need to navigate all these complex systems so they can get the right care at the right time. It's gonna, it's gonna be transformational for us. Have you seen more mental health cases since the pandemic? Oh heavens, yes. So was it on the news I heard, I think they said, don't quote me on this, but I believe they said 70% of adolescents have some mental health issue right now. Wow. And they're saying the, the anxiety level is greater than prisoners during, in, in jails during the 1930s. That was a quote from a physician. Wow. Um, I think from Kennedy Creek. Or Why do you think that is? Is it the fear we lived in? Is it the isolation? What, it, what do you guys, are you, well, I mean, this is a your personal, personal opinion. Yeah. Statement. I think, I think it's hard to learn, you know, we're in a blessed society. I mean, you know, you look at other countries and how others live, right? And right. how they have to get by. And we're in such a blessed society that I think sometimes we become so intro focused on ourselves that it's hard for us to see outside of ourselves. And when we come, when ourselves become the center of attention and everything's about us, then when one little thing goes wrong, it puts you in a tailspin, right? Because, oh my heavens, I'm, you know, I'm anxious about this. That's one thing. And the other thing is social media has made everything, the world, in your face, right? So we see all the conflict that goes on in society. When I was growing up, I didn't have any of that. I wasn't exposed to any of that. So these stressors are real for these young people. And I think trying to figure out what to give them, all I can say from personal experience is back to that kindness. Start using that anxiety to do good. Start saying, okay, I'm really anxious, but what can I do to help someone else with kindness that could make them 
feel better. And in the end, you're going to feel better. I, I tell you right now, it's, it's unbelievable. Those acts of kindness um, really do change our mindset, change how we feel about the world, change about how we feel about humanity just by doing good for others. Such a simple thing. What you just said kind of sparked a, a feeling in myself. So, you know, I was getting ready for today's episode and I was being kind of hard on myself. Like, hey, yeah. you better have the right questions sure, and this sure, and that. And, sure. and I kind of took a step back and I said, Mana, you are about to do an episode about being kind. Start with being, being kind yes, to yourself. You've got to put your own mask on first. Exactly. How do we do that? How do we remember to stay kind to ourselves? Well, I'll give you a little trick I do. Every morning I get up and I say to myself, what am I grateful for today? That's the first question I ask myself. And I go through my family and I've got wonderful children. I've got a wonderful grandson. Oh my heavens, I go through my mom who's 96, is still alive and doing well. So all those gratitude things. And then I say, secondly, what am I going to do today that makes it worthy of me being alive today? What am I going to do for someone else where that, that I can be proud of saying, yeah, I'm here for a reason. I'm on this, I'm on this planet for a reason. What is that going to be today? And those are the two things that I start my day with every day. For me. Taking a minute and being present exactly. and, and thinking about being it. Being authentic yes. with yourself. And then not being so hard on yourself. I mean, it's so easy for us. Society, you know, you look at, you know, the Barbie movie, all these things in society, and you think, oh, my heavens, you know, I'm not like that. I'm not, I'm not, you know, this age. I was complaining. I'll give you an example. So yesterday I was at the dentist, and I said to my dentist, I said, I'm so sad. And she goes, you know, why? And this was tongue in cheek, but I wasn't really that sad over it. I said, I see all these young women with these wonderful white teeth. And I said, <laughs> and I know I'll never have that because I'd have to have all my teeth replaced and my teeth are a little yellow. And I said, and it just makes me sad that I'll never have those glorious white teeth. And that's because I grew up at a time where, you know, we didn't have dental care like this. So, and we laughed over it. That's one thing. If I was really, really serious about that question, I could have been really sad over the fact that I'll never have these glorious, beautiful teeth that others have. But why worry about that? I mean, is that really important right. in life? No, it's not. It's not important. Not when you see what other people are going through. And it's almost like if your happiness comes from the intangible, exactly. then no one can take it away exactly. from you. Right? Oh, and I always said, you know, to my kids too, the way I brought them up, I always said, you know, things are things. Um, the stuff you accumulate is just junk that some, when you get older, someone's going to have to get rid of. The stuff that you can take with you is what you do for others. You can right. always take that with you. The other stuff is just, it's what, what is it? It's material things that will be gone. Matter of fact, as we're getting older, my husband and I, we've asked the kids. My husband was from Denmark, was a guard for the Queen of Denmark. So we have these some wonderful things. And we've asked the kids, do you want these? And they've said no. And I'm like, oh my heavens, this thing was so precious and they don't want any of it. And so that should be a lesson to all of us that, you know, it is, it's just stuff to them. It's not just stuff. It's just stuff. But they'll remember all the other things. They'll remember the experiences. They'll remember the love that we gave them. They, they remember all of that. And that to me is the biggest gift that you can give your children is that. And for me, hearing you say that, I truly do remember the good times, but most importantly, the acts of kindness that somebody has shown me. I truly sure. do. When I look yeah. back on the last year, or yeah. the last couple yeah. months, yeah. the last, you know, when I was in high school, whatever right. it might right. be, is there, and I'm sure you have a ton, feel free to share a couple That's if right. you want, a memory, 
either of an act of kindness that's happened to you or that you've witnessed that just kind of changed your life or your perspective on things? Oh boy, Uh, lots, but let me tell you one pretty dramatic one. Um, This is pretty dramatic and I, when I think about it, I've got lots of stories, but the one that was most dramatic in my career where I woke up and realized how important Frazier was to others was I was sitting um, with some donors at a benefit, Frazier benefit. And um, prior to that, let me, let me back up. I was on stage, a shopping day with Diane was being auctioned off. So I'm a bargain shopper. And so in the crowd, you know, the auctioneer was, you know, saying who wants this, you know, and the, and the money, and it was, the money was going up, right? And we, I noticed that this individual kept raising his own bid. And the auctioneer said to him, what is that about? You're raising your own bid over and over again. You already got this. And, and he kept going up and up and up on, him, on himself. So finally, you know, I'm sitting with my donors at a table and we were having dinner. And he comes over and I stood up and I said, oh, this is going to be so much fun. I'm going to take you and your wife and everyone will go shopping to my favorite places. And um, he said, well, I didn't do it for that reason. And I said, you didn't. And he goes, no, he said, "Um, I did it because you saved my life. And I said, well, you know, I didn't, I don't think I saved your life. I don't even know you, I'm sorry, but I didn't save your life. And he goes, no, Frazier saved my life. Let me tell you the story. And his wife is standing by him. I knew this was gonna be traumatic. And she starts crying, Mm. true story, he says, I was so distraught over my child with has severe disabilities that my wife and I decided that um, I was going to kill the child, my son, kill her and then kill myself. And he said, this was six months ago. And he said, I looked up at our refrigerator and I saw a magnet that said Frasier on it. And I said to myself, I'm just gonna make one last call. We've called everywhere. No one's been able to help us, one last call. So, he said, and he went like this, when I say you saved my life, no, you saved our lives. And he walked away. And he never, he never took me up on the shopping trip or anything, but he, he, made, he wrote the check and made the donation. Wow. But I mean, that's the kind of difference Frazier can make. We, we, I see this all the time, every day. I mean, lots of kids that are in distress, families that are desperate for help. And they belong at Frazier. I mean, they really do belong here. We can do so much. Um, the earlier we can get to these families and their children, the more we can do. But there's hope at every turn. We've got residential programs. We've got Frazier School. We have case management. We've got all, a huge clinical program um, that is, as you heard me say earlier in the program, broadening our services. We have PTOT and speech. We, I mean, we are a comprehensive one-stop model for individuals that have these issues that really need us. And I'm so proud that we're in Minnesota because Minnesota has been such a giving community. I mean, being from Ohio, and like I said, from this poor community, if someone would write a check for $5 to a charity, they considered that a lot of money. So I was really worried when I started at at Courage Center that, that we would really struggle to raise money. And although it's always a struggle for nonprofits to raise money, Minnesota is so generous. And Frazier's been really lucky to be um, the benefactor of so many of these generous people in this community. I want to thank you for sharing that story because I think sometimes we think kindness stories are all, you know, 
sprinkles and confetti and, no. and oh you know I was walking down the street and did something nice for someone and it's it's in the hardest darkest times it that is. we need that hand it is and I want to thank you for telling that very real story so without our staff who are so dedicated to these clients and it takes a special person you know to to work with these families I mean you can imagine a psychologist having to tell um, a new a newer parent that their child has autism how tough that is I mean it's not an easy message but after that message, there's such great hope in being able to tell them everything that child's going to be able to do and what that future is going to look like. So back when I started at um, Frazier, we had a assistant director. And she, in six months after I was there, um, developed Hodgkin's disease. Mm-hmm. And she was um, living basically alone. I mean, her sister was working, so she was at home. So we took turns, our staff, including myself, wow. providing hospice care for her uh, in her home until she passed. And again, you know, that was something I'll never, for, I'll never forget that uh, experience, um, just being able to do that for someone. And I've, I've been blessed to be able to witness so many things like this. I was, uh, as an audiologist, we had a client at Courage who had a severe spinal cord injury, and they wanted to go in and take some of the scar tissue off his spinal cord, which would help his mobility. But he was deaf, and he was blind. And so they had me in the surgery room with him, holding his hand, and he couldn't be under major anesthesia, so holding his hand and signing into him, and he would sign pain to me, and then I could tell the surgeon, pain, he's in pain, he's in pain. But I mean, it's those kind of experiences of, you know, just doing that for humans, helping any, there's so, you look around, you can walk out, I, I know today, we, when I walk out of here, look down the street, there's something you can do for someone. Or in your car, think about what you might be able to do today for someone else to help them. Right. So, And it's almost like, you know, dinner can wait. You oh can yeah, be a little exactly. bit late, like whatever it is. Um, it's like what, you know, when you see it, somebody with a flat tire on the freeway, mm-hmm. What is the difference between the person that stops to help and those who don't, right? We just need to take a minute and think about what that act of kindness or what putting ourselves out there can do. Yes. Um, I really want to thank you for being here today. You are an amazing human. You've shared so many amazing things with us. Thank you. Um, What I want to leave the listeners with is I think we've heard today that no act of kindness is too small. So when in doubt, Mm -hmm. be kind. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you for supporting the podcast. And thank you for being a part of this community. I hope you have a wonderful day.